Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Tristan Holmes. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Hythe. Happy 2024, everybody. I think I've finally got over that cold that I managed to get right before New Year's. Uh, scientifically, it was probably either my niece or nephew who gave it to me, but I'm just going to choose to believe I caught it from Hugh Jackman when I was next to him at the play. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Um, I I have had no contact with uh, celebrities. Um <laughs> Uh, other than the lovely writers for addicted to quack um who <laughs> definitely count um oh yeah you uh uh y- y- you celebrated the uh Oregon's victory over uh Washington state in men's basketball uh Oregon is undefeated in conference play so far and at the top of the Pac-12 uh in the final season of its existence and i i guess <laughs> Washington State is definitely a Pac-12 team. Um, oh yeah. Uh, th- this, I believe, will be like the last time Oregon has to play in Pullman in any sport, except for one game in women's basketball. Um, uh, you know, because like the Cougs, be- the the baseball team, the the series is in Eugene this year, not Pullman. The Cougs don't have a uh, a softball team. Uh, and and like there's no other sports you know so it's like no more games in pullman i hate it like I, nothing against the cougs themselves you know the competitors or or their fans or anything just like i hate it when the ducks have to go to pullman like nothing good ever happens in pullman and like viz this game um in which like there was absolutely no reason why this game should have been close given that Oregon was shooting like flipping maniacs in this game. Um, Like, you know, at, at one point, you know, by the conclusion of the first half, Oregon was shooting or yeah, like an 85% rate. Like it was, it was at like Oregon could not miss. It was like the most insane, you know, they wound up, you know, finishing, you know, 58.2% from the floor, which sounds like a pretty good number. It was, it was because in the second half they had like normal numbers like the mm-hmm. you know in the second half they shot 48.3% which is the normal amount in the in the in the first half it was like 90%. I mean it was like bonkers. They couldn't miss. Like like the commentators were going nuts because Brendan Rigsby like literally you know did not miss a shot until at some point like 5 minutes into the into the second half like it was like it was insane um uh 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 yeah it's just that whatever like hotness that oregon caught like wazoo caught it too Mm -hmm. like you know and oregon's been a good defensive team this year and it's not like wazoo was getting like uncontested you know shots or anything where oregon was like taking a nap defensively like wazoo was just like unconscious from three i mean it was you know i mean it's just sort of like oh it's pullman you know they go to pullman and no one can miss a shot including you know the kooks who were not like a super hot shooting team uh you know miles rice went insane you know in this game he shot 22 you know 22 points like yeah it's crazy anyway uh i've been talking for a while what did you think about this game uh 
I I'm echo, I echo a lot of your sentiments. Uh, I've always enjoyed. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't really always enjoyed Oregon playing Washington State uh, because that Washington State is such a strong competitor. And you know, Pullman. No matter what sport you're in, if you're an away team in Pullman, you have to deal with that strange combination of agoraphobia and uh, claustrophobia that comes from being in a very small, tight-knit town. But if you drive 15 miles out of it, you may as well be on the surface of the moon. Mm. And there really isn't much else there other than to go support their kooks. So it's, it's a raucous hometown atmosphere, but that's not very good for the away team. And I don't care what sport you're talking about. Plus, you know, you get games like this where, again, you know, in the standings, Washington State is one of the weaker teams in the Pac-12 right now, whereas Oregon, injury depleted as they are, has been really hot. So you wouldn't expect this to be close. And you talk about how Oregon just couldn't miss in the first half. Well, they only had a five-point lead at the end of that first half when they couldn't miss because guess what? Washington State was finding answers. Yeah, and and Oregon ended up uh, out shooting the Cougars, not by a whole heck of a lot, but they did. But the thing that made it even closer than that was that the Cougars were getting to the free throw line, and they were shooting pretty well from the free throw line. I mean, that was that, the great equalizer here. Well, I mean, th- yes, that, and then also it was it was three point shooting, like mm-hmm. that that the uh, uh, y- y- you know. Oregon shot it, 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 it was it, like here's the thing that was crazy you know Oregon shot a, a 14 for 24 from the three-point line which is like crazy you know 58.3 percent um for, for like which is you know that, 25 re- percentage points better than than nominal you know one out of three right, exactly. um, it was ridiculous l- performance from the from beyond the arc right you know so that's absolutely insane the 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 coogs shot nine for 18 you know so they mm-hmm. were like r- you know right there with them you know so you know but you know so so even though they were like you know a little behind oregon in terms of their shooting percentage first of all they were still you know above the 50 percent mark you know like so they were still you know very hot but they were also like they were very hot from beyond the arc too which is you know what allowed them but but yeah that's the other thing is that somehow like you know this is why i started off talking about pullman like like wazoo is they're shooting from beyond the arc and they're getting fouled like Oregon three different times in this game gave Wazoo four point plays. It's like, uh, um, you know, like that was the thing is, you know, Oregon in this game shot 14 free throws. They made 11, you know, good. Yeah. Wazoo shot 27, you know, almost doubled them up. Yep. Yeah. And, and at one point it was something like, and that was that number is Oregon's like 14 uh, is, is inflated by, you know, end of the game stuff where Wazoo was losing, you know, Oregon was up by, I think like eight in the final minute. 
or so. And so, you know, last minute shenanigans were the last minute, you know, gets, you know, dragged out for 10 minutes of real time, you know, in, in which there's a bunch of fouls, you know, and, and that's why Oregon wound up, you know, it was like six to 24, you know, for it was like the like I swear to God, it was something like the Kooks had something like four times as many free throw attempts as Oregon for for almost all of the game. Um, like and I mean, that's that's the Pullman thing is like, look, yeah. both of these teams are shooting totally lights out, you know, and, and the thing about shooting totally lights out, you know, is that that, you know, that that means that it's not all you know driving to the bucket you know stuff that like that that means it's a bunch of like it's a bunch of pull-up jumpers you know and it's a bunch of perimeter shots and so forth and so like well it's shooting you know Mm -hmm. it's not it's not slam dunks it's 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 not stuff in which you're liable to get fouled and yet the cougs were getting foul or the the rest were blowing the whistle you know like four times as often they're playing in Pullman. Yeah. I mean, part of that might just be part of that might just be Oregon having an off night, but it's, it's difficult to see with such a discrepancy that it might not have been a little psychology on the part of the officiating crew of being a little more willing to blow the whistle. Yeah. In, in the home team's favor but like you know dor gets into foul trouble dor is the guy that they have on the floor to be their defensive player which i think mm-hmm. contributes to wazoo keeping it close rigsby goes nuts you know like this was you know th- this was like the best game he's ever played he's still he went nuts in the first half couldn't miss a shot and then, you know, he picks up his third foul, and so he disappears, you know, right. so they put him on the bench, you know, because they need to reserve him until the end of the game. He winds up finishing, you know, as Oregon's leading scorer, almost all of his points are from the first half. Like, he winds up contributing almost nothing, you know, simply because he was in foul trouble. Well, mm-hmm. look, man, like, I watched it, like, two of those fouls were BS fouls, which, like, <laughs> look, man, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy or anything, because, like... You know, B- BS fouls are part of basketball. Like, I mean, like everybody, it's just like, it's just the way that I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that there was a conspiracy. I'm just saying that the officiating like had a heavy hand in the flow of this game. And the, the fact that it was like all going against Oregon you know, as part of it, and the fact that like Oregon doesn't have their bigs, and your bigs are the guys who are going, you know, down low and getting fouled is, you know, probably part of it too. Like, you don't have to believe in a conspiracy to understand what's going on here. You know, like Oregon doesn't have players that are, you know, down low in the paint getting getting hacked. You know, there you go. Like, yeah, it, it's easily explicable. And I mean, some from Oregon's point of view, I mean, some games you're going to the calls just aren't going to be in your favor. And it's not just because of a conspiracy. It's just that, you know, it, it, it's a it's based on the officials ability to observe the game and also their judgment calls. And sometimes you're going to get a game where they cluster against you. And this just happened to be one of those games. Now, the fortunate thing is they were still able to squeak out a win because even without their bigs, although fortunately Mookie Cook is starting to see some playing time, yeah. not significant playing time, but he's on the court, 
which is which is big going forward. His he, his points to minutes ratio is still like through the roof, right? You know, he plays seven <laughs> right. minutes and he got two points, which is you know. Yeah, we just, he's just got to play himself into shape at this point. We hope the production scales with that. But, you know, uh, Brennan Rigsby had uh, an incredibly uh, impressive outing. What might have been even more pr- impressive was Cario Quendo coming off the bench. Four of four from beyond the arc, five of five overall, yeah. and at 15 points. So it's not even just one person. Right. The entire team is hot, and they're able to fend off another hot team. Yeah, I, you know, Quindo, the great mystery man, you know, where he either has two points or he has double digits. Like, I, 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 I cannot understand this guy. Like, but whatever, you know, when he, when he puts in his 15 points, you know, hooray. And he, and perfect, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. They, they needed him to have one of his 15 point nights on this particular yeah. night. And fortunately, they got Well, it. because, the, you know, another guy, we, we haven't mentioned it, but another guy, you know, gets into who, gets into foul trouble and then winds up, you know, playing diminished minutes uh, and what is normally uh, a big contributor for Oregon points wise, you know, is KJ Evans, right. Mm -hmm. You know, who, who only winds up, you know, picks up his third foul only winds up playing 25 minutes and only winds up contributing uh, uh, seven points. Like, um, you know, they're well, so Quendo steps in and basically gets his points, you know, Um, Cousinard had a great night you know not great from beyond the arc uh like only two for eight you know from beyond the arc but like you know he's pretty good in the paint um you know you know put in uh, 16 points you know we've been talking about rigsby and then of course you know jackson shellstead like yeah who's uh, just been yeah. really impressive especially for a freshman yeah i mean like you know enough cannot be said like you know it's it's becoming very very clear that this dude's you know going to be a leader for years to come like and you know like i don't i don't really want to turn every time we talk about men's basketball to the dump on will richardson you know podcast but like it's it it just seems very obvious to me that sort of the doldrums that oregon had had been in to to the extent that Oregon's men's basketball had sort of been making you uncomfortable for the last couple of years and making people be like, what's up with Dana Altman? Like, as he lost his touch was really just like, you know, that they didn't have Jackson Shellstad at point guard. Yeah. Because like, look, Jackson Shellstad at point guard without bigs is doing this. And not Jackson Shellstad, but with Biggs was doing that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I this is an exciting year for Oregon men's basketball. Obviously, you would wish for better injury luck, especially in in a sport like basketball, where uh, you know you expect. Not to say you expect no injuries, but it's not like in a hitting sport like football where you have to just basically say, well, we're going to lose a couple of yeah. starters for significant yeah, periods. There's no reason the year. to expect to have a single, you know, injury. I mean, they may happen, but there's no reason to expect it. 
Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, this is actually, uh, I think a lot of us were bracing that this could be a disappointing season for this men's basketball team because they face such bad injury luck, but they have been playing very well and they're going to keep getting healthier. Uh, Mookie Cook is hopefully going to keep getting expanded minutes as he plays himself into shape. And the hope is that and Folly Dante will at some point start getting worked into the rotation as well. Yeah, we we saw a report. Dana Altman uh, said that he's been he, he's been practicing. He played like seven out of the eleven minutes in in practice uh, uh, today. So like, yeah, you know. And and we got some positive reports. You know, the initial reports about uh, uh, Nate Biddle's uh, uh, surgery were was that like, oh, you know, he might be done for the entire season. But actually, the you know the 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 updated reports are like they may you know very well get him back you know uh you know during conference play you know in which case like oregon may be by the time they're playing you know really the game that matters and making you know a postseason push like they may be at full strength and that this period in which they're getting everybody else like they're their freshmen, their bench players, their even their walk-ons, like a bunch of like valuable experience, like that that may wind up, you know, playing a lot of dividends. And when they're playing games like this, where it's like, you know, goddamn cougs, you know. <laughs> hey man, you know, they're 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 probably gonna play some more like goddamn it games, you know, oh, and like without and, question. Right. And sort of like, you know, you didn't cover it, but but, you know, when Oregon played the game prior in their state of Washington trip in Seattle, that was another one where, you know, I sort of felt like Oregon was in control of that game. They were the more athletic team. Um, and yet, you know, Washington made it a game at the end. But Oregon, you know, Oregon controlled the final you know, or Oregon controlled it at the end because it's a better coach team, more athletic team, you know, whatever, like it, that, that they probably wouldn't have needed to do that had they been at full strength, but like they weren't. And so they needed to, but when they needed to, they did. And, and, and then it, it happened again when they went across the straight street state to Pullman if they were at full strength, they wouldn't have needed to do that, you know, the final minute shenanigans, but they did. And when they needed to, they did. And so, okay, pro probably, you know, n not good for my heart. <laughs> Certainly not. Probably good for this team. You know? I, I agreed. I, the hope is that uh, later in the year, when this team does get to full strength, that these these kinds of games won't necessarily be happening against Washington or Washington state, but you're going to be up against other teams that might, uh, might end up higher in the overall conference standings. And when you get into these kinds of games against, you know, an Arizona say at some point, well, if you're at full strength, you've been here before and you know what you need to do in order to try to finish it out when you're having one of those, dang it, these guys just can't miss. Okay. Let's go win it anyway. Although honestly, looking at the Pac-12, like I, I mean, Arizona's looking like a good team. Although Stanford beat them, Stanford yeah. trounced them by like eighteen points. Um, and then like the next two teams are are Utah and Colorado. Um, I mean, okay, 
you know, although like both of those teams lost to Arizona State, Arizona State was like the the third worst team in Ken Palm going into this last weekend. Um, you know, just, like just barely ahead of Cal and Oregon State. Now that may mean that like Arizona State was sneakily better than than anybody thought like i don't know i haven't really been keeping up with arizona state maybe they had somebody who was out with injury and they got him back and that transformed the team and so they're better than statistically they had previously appeared i don't know i'll when it comes time for oregon to play arizona state we'll have to check that out but like um I don't know. I, I'm I'm not really I'm not really thinking that Utah and Colorado. I'm I'm sort of thinking that Utah and Colorado aren't really the, you know that great at teams that they're just at the top you know uh, because who else would be well who else would be should have been USC and UCLA but like oops you know uh, uh, Enfield and Cronin you know forgot to assemble their teams correctly even though they had more than enough great Legos in order to do that um so it's like well, it's kind of like why not Oregon like I mean who else is there I you know like yeah. like uh, you know seriously Arizona State you know or Stanford might be the fourth best team in the conference like like the the there's like there there may very well be like no middle of this conference or, or Oregon just like beat all of the middle end of the, the you know part of the conference like the the middle of the conference is probably USC UCLA Washington and Wazoo well those were the four teams that Oregon just played you know to open conference play and and went four and zero against so like hmm. It, it's exciting to think about. Uh, well, obviously, you know, we've got a lot of season ahead of us and very few teams, especially in basketball, simply because there are so many games managed to get through an entire regular season without a what the what the fudge was that kind of game. We uh, yeah, we'll we'll see that I mean, at they, some point. I have no doubt. Well, I mean, they played Syracuse and yeah, and, and like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the exciting thing is that if, if this team keeps getting healthier and if their performance so far against whatever the middle of this conference is, which there might really not be a middle, there might just be a handful of good teams, then it kind of falls off a cliff. But if this team is at full strength or close to it going into the conference tournament, uh, they could be set up for really good positioning in March, which would be fun yeah. to see. Yeah. Um, well, it's a short week this week. They only have Cal. I'm not really sure why that is. Um, like they're usually paired with the other, you know, you know, the other team from their dyad. So that would be Stanford. I don't know why Oregon's not playing Stanford this week, but they're not. Uh, it's just Cal. Um, and Cal's the, you know, the the other bad team in the conference beyond other than Oregon State, although Cal just beat UCLA, although I really don't really think that's about Cal so much as it is about like UCLA burping it this season. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll look forward to that game a little later this week. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will talk some women's hoops. So uh, you covered, uh, I think, the last two uh, or most recent two uh, women's basketball games, um, or I think there might have been one in between. Uh, 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 the, uh, they've been losing all of them, so like I don't know, 
blurring together. Uh, you covered the uh, Oregon versus Oregon State game um, in Corvallis, uh, in which the Beavs blew out the Ducks, uh, and you covered the um, the 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 Oregon versus USC game uh, in which the Trojans, you know, destroyed uh, the ducks. Oh yeah. The UCLA game was in between in which uh, UCLA destroyed the ducks. Um, now UCLA destroying the ducks was sort of like, of course that was going to happen. Like the UCLA may, might be the best team in the country this year, like the second best team, you know, I sort of, uh, uh, okay. Um, but like, and USC is a pretty good team too. I think this year, um, or I don't know. What do you think? Well, if you're going just by the rankings, then the LA teams are, uh, we're always going to be a tough out, especially having to go to LA. I mean, the, the really, the only thing you can take away from this as a quote unquote positive and just that it's slightly less negative is, well, they were all away games. So maybe yeah. they'll play better at home. Um, so that's a possibility. But other than that, I mean, the last time I was on this podcast and we talked about this women's team, we talked about how they had that very strange run at the uh, at the Trailblazer Classic where Utah Tech of all teams just went out of their minds. They had that Will Ferrell from old school mo moment of I, I just blacked out. I don't know what happened there from three pointers mm. and and beat Oregon despite some offensive production. And then Oregon actually got uh, better offensive production than they had been seeing and beat an Oklahoma State team, which is not the class of their conference, but hey, power five league. Yeah. And we were we were hoping maybe, all right, maybe some of this offensive momentum will will carry over into conference play. And then they go up to a Corvallis and it just completely evaporated. Right. Uh, the the yeah. halftime score was 23-15. And then I remember watching this game and at one point I was thinking, wow, they've actually got a lead on them. They're doing pretty well. And then I actually looked at the score oh and I realized, God. wait a minute, no. Oregon State has just been completely ice cold in that first quarter. That's probably not going to last. And it didn't. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was. I mean, that was the thing that was crazy was that, you know, you're right. Oregon, like Oregon started out fine, I guess, like not as you know, I, I the, you would have liked to see some more offensive production to to start out the game. It wasn't quite, you know, the the entirety of the first half. It was like most. It was the first quarter, and then like most of the second quarter. Um, but it was still like, yeah, Oregon State was you know completely ice cold. Um, uh, uh, and then Oregon State went on this. You know, what did it wind up being? It was something like a twenty-six to three run in the in sort of the middle of the game. Yeah, it's starting a little bit into the third quarter, I think it, there was a 14-point run where Oregon didn't score at all, and then it was yeah. you know, 20s to single digits where they just they just put this thing out of reach. Yeah, I mean it was it was bonkers. It was like I used some of the it was just like I mean it was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen out of Oregon. Yeah. Like I, I mean to the point where like it was. Look, man, look, I've watched a lot of women's basketball under Kelly Graves, you know, for 
for years like they just i mean it was like watching like the monsters like having stolen their talent like it was it was they just looked unathletic out there And, and like i know what i am accustomed to seeing in terms of like the level of athleticism from you know when i'm talking about that athleticism i'm talking about stuff like you know the the crispness of the passing you know the 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 ball handling the zip on the ball like the 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 ability to, to you know to release the ball uh you know with the proper arc like you know speed on the floor um sort of the the um like the, just just like the way they move on the floor the, this athleticism um right the the and it was like during that period of the game it was like i don't know someone had had cast like a magic spell on them and they were all just like lethargic it was like they were moving in oatmeal uh and i was just like oh what has happened to this team um and like oregon state looked like a normal basketball team you know they were moving the ball appropriately they were pa- like they would pass the ball and oregon was like a second late to be trying to like jump in 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 place you know and it was just like the pat like the shots were effectively undefended i was just like what this is what what that might have been the most frustrating thing late in the game is there were a couple of times where oregon state would pass the ball i mean not not an unusual amount just like okay this this is a basketball team that knows how to move the ball and try to find an open shot and then they'd find someone open in the corner by their own bench from three-point range and i think they got like two or three open three-point shots from over there and you're just watching this oregon team thinking where's the it i hesitate to use this word but you know where's the hustle but why is yeah. someone running over to get their hand in somebody's? But face? I mean, yeah, that's totally what it was. Yeah. It's just like a, a like a. You're right that it's cliche, and and it's often something that like I don't know. It's it feels like something that like you know old man basketball fans yeah. sort of yell, and, and so I like I I I hesitate to engage in it, and I'm but like yes, it definitely. I mean, in this instance yeah it totally describes it. and and here's the other thing about the way that oregon state was shooting in this game like like nobody really shot real well nobody really garnered that many points except for one player who was reagan beers yeah right you know who who goes you know 11 for 14 you know is, who's their big right you know she mm-hmm. she's their filipina che she gets 24 points which is like you know, no, you know, the next nearest is like 12, you know, for one of their bench players who's who, who's like five for 11 from the floor, you know, like like it's nothing special. Like, no, like, you know, there's only one other player in double digits and that's 11, you know, for for somebody who's four for 12 from the floor, you know, like it's, you know, and one for five from beyond the arc, you know, like basically nobody like. I mean, it's 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 trivial amounts of points from everybody else. But what Oregon State was able to do was move the ball around and then get the you know the 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 you know the the, the get the interior past Beers, mm-hmm. and then you know Beers would just lay it in. You know, uh, yeah, almost all of her points were coming off of you know drives, layups, hook shots, just you know yeah. what you'd expect your big to do but they were really effective because you know it's tough to defend uh, a really good you know uh 
big interior player like Beers is, right. especially when the team like, is once she's the ball. got the ball. Yeah, once she's got the ball and she's within like uh, uh, you know six feet of the basket, like forget it. Like it's a it's a bucket. The the challenge, you know, you know, be, beating this team it, either a you outscore them which is definitely in the offing because they don't have anybody else who can score. And so you can just, you know, so that's, that's one strategy is just be like, I'll forget it. She's going to get 24 points. Well, whatever, you know, we'll get 80 points. And so, you know, who cares? Well, that wasn't happening for Oregon. So, okay. Defensive ball. The, the other way that you beat such a team is okay. We just got to, you know, prevent those in bat, you know, the, 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 the interior access pass to beers, you know, we can't let her get the ball because if she gets it, the ball, the ball's going in the bucket. So, you know, we need to play really athletic defense in order to, to prevent, you know, that pass from getting to her, well, guess what? That was also off the table because they were playing in oatmeal. So it's like, well, that's how you have the Ducks losing 62 to 41. And that's how, you know, you basically go on a run in which, you know, it's like 26 to three in the middle of the game. Uh, yeah, we're, so it was just like, uh, oh my God, it was just pathetic. Like I was like, all, you know, on why. And, and I mean, it was yet another like very typical game from Grace Van Sluten in which she goes seven for 16 and 15 points. You know, she's, you know, doing great. Uh, but like everybody else can't make a, a basket, right? Like Kennedy Basham can't make a basket. Sophia Bell goes right back to be like, I was talking about like, oh, I've, I've got hopes now for Sophia Bell, you know, because, you know, she, she in, in the, the St. George, you know, the the Oklahoma State game and the the even the Utah Tech game, which again you you summed it up right, like it was sort of weird because they they lost that game because Utah Tech went nuts from from beyond the arc, but the silver lining to it was actually Oregon played some pretty good offensive basketball, and and the silver lining of the silver lining was Sophia Bell. Well, guess what? She goes right back to scoring zero points, zero for six from from the floor, including zero for three. Uh, you know, from beyond the arc. So she, she goes back to contributing goose egg. Um, you know, they, they're, they, you know, uh, uh, Philly was doing, you know, fine, except they couldn't get her to the ball. You know, yeah. she, she winds up contributing 16 rebounds in this game. Like, you know, like she's doing what she's on the floor in order to do. It's just unlike Oregon State, who was effectively getting their big the ball. Oregon was not effectively getting their big, you know, the ball. And so, you know, that's why, you know, Philly gets six and Reagan gets 24. Yeah, that was probably the most intriguing part of the game for me. A lot of times I had my eyes glued on that matchup. It was a lot of fun watching uh watching Philly go up against beers because they're so well-matched physically and it, they were well-matched on the, on the boards. Uh, Philly got 16 rebounds, beers got 17, but just Oregon state was setting beers up for success scoring and Oregon couldn't do the same for Philippina right. Che. And then like, you know, and then the rest of the team contributes seven combined points, you know, yeah. you know and, and no Chamberlain basically doesn't again. play yeah. but like Pr Priscilla Williams has you know five points on 12 minutes you know Kennedy Williams has zero points on 14 minutes uh you know Sierra Rhombus has you know two points on 12 minutes like great great you know like the, the like half the team 
you know, like half the, like more than half the team contributes nothing like you know or or basically nothing and, and you know and 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 with the exception of like three players like you know and, and then there's chance gray who's like oh my god like okay so in this game like like th- three games this is her high water mark in which she scores nine points by going three for 15 from from the floor. And that's the high watermark because against UCLA, she has a concussion and doesn't play, which like that sucks. And then against USC, uh, uh, you know, she, she goes, she gets 11 points, you know, five for 16, but here's the problem. She really, she like, I, I actually sort of, I put the loss at her feet for, for going right back to, to jacking up threes and missing them. Like she kept killing possessions by going one for five from beyond the arc. Like Oregon was playing decent enough. Let's switch over and talk about the USC game. I actually mm-hmm. think this was like, even though they lost this game by 14, I actually think that this was a, a like a winning, like they had enough going on offensively that they could have won this game. You know, like Sophia Bell, like actually starts making some shots right you know she 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 goes three for six from the three-point line contributes 11 points philly goes you know five for ten you know like they were actually getting her to the ball uh you know she gets 10 points van sluten gets 18 you know another nominal performance she kept getting fouled she makes almost all of her three throws like you know great like i mean nobody else is contributing anything that you know that's a problem but the but like but it's chance gray, you know, like, and I, it, and if this were any other game, I would say, well, she's coming off of, you know, concussion protocol. I shouldn't come down too hard on her, but like, this has been chance gray for the entire year is like, like, that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's rough. I think in one of our prior conversations about this team, we talked about how there really are three and a half starters, at least when it comes to, offensive scoring and you know if if gray is going to have games like this i'm not sure we can even call her a half a starter anymore i mean if if she's got if she's gonna be more consistent then maybe this team can can sneak out some wins later but this whole you know if you're gonna go one of five from three-point range you probably shouldn't be taking five shots from three-point range sophia bell went three of six i mean if you're making half your three-point shots yeah, if you've got an open look, take it. But otherwise, you've got to find other ways of of producing points. And the only real consistent point, the only truly consistent point producer for this team has been Grace Van Sluten. Uh, Filipina Che has also had her games where she's been able to score a lot of points. She did get another double-double against USC. So it, she was certainly doing her part. But this yeah. is a team where... You've got one consistent score, one highly effective big, some iffy, we don't know if it's going to show up on any given night perimeter shooting, and a bench that you can't really rely on to improve production if one of your starters goes cold. Yeah. I mean, and like defensively, I don't know. Defensively, they were playing fine. You know, USC, considering that that's like the number nine team in the country, or, or whatever they're, they're current, you know, it's a top 10 team. Like they, you know, they, they shot 
I mean, they shot nominally. You know, they, they shot 49% from the floor, 33% from beyond the arc. You know, they, they had three main, you know, contributors who were their stars, right? You know, Juju Watkins, the, the number one overall player or, or recruit. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Marshall, uh, who's their big, and, and Mc, Mackenzie Forbes. You know, like everybody else that, you know, they had pretty well bottled up. Like, that, this was, you know, they, they had, like, they, they put multiple, you know, USC players into net negative and their plus minus. Like, you know, was this the greatest defensive performance in the world? No, certainly not. But, like, limiting USC to 68 points is actually not too bad, like, considering how good, you know, of a team they are. Like, that's actually, that that's actually, well, let me take a quick look. Uh, that I mean, that's that's several points below their season average, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, that and they did it, you know, that the, they did it without really fouling, um, which is another thing that, you know, Oregon's been very good at is, is playing pretty decent defense without fouling. Um, you know, that the, Juju Watkins, they they and Mackenzie Forbes, they baited into to taking unproductive threes. Um, they actually they, they baited a bunch of players into taking, you know, unproductive threes. Uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, so you, you know, like defense, like they did enough defensively so that this was a winnable game if they had, you know, if, if they had better offensive production, it's just they didn't have good offensive production and and like and they could have had better you know hell they were actually getting points out of sophia bell for for a change it's just mm-hmm. oh you know you know once again kennedy basham turns in a goose egg you know yeah. priscilla williams turns in a goose egg sandy wagner turns in a goose egg you know Ken, kennedy uh, uh williams turns in a goose egg you know sarah rhombus turns in four points in 15 minutes you know like they they you know that they have five players who combined for four points you know on on a on a combined you know uh uh close to 50 total minutes between the 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 five of them they combined for four points like great great and then like chance gray can't stop jacking up threes and missing them so it's like Yeah, and that that's not even the limit of the offensive issues in this particular game, because if you look at points off turnovers, SC got 19 points off of Oregon. Oh, turnovers. yeah. So you're well, not even the handling thing. the ball well to miss a shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, that or really, I mean, that's the thing is I, I mean, like it really all goes back to the fact that, that Oregon doesn't have a ball handler. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they don't they don't have their point guard, you know, because Peyton Scott got injured. But the fact that like look, man, you had to take a transfer to, just to have a point guard and then you didn't get a second one so that her getting hurt destroyed your team. Like, I mean, it comes back to Kelly Graves. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just this roster mismanagement. Like, there's no other way to, there's no way the way to put, to, to put it. And like, yeah, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that this was a game that Oregon should have won and I'm upset because they didn't win a game that they should have won. Like, I, but I am saying that, like, look, man, like they they're playing good enough defensive basketball, which is something that we've been saying all year, and they just need to score more points. And like they're that it's very consistent all year long. They're not scoring points. Like, uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have anything else you want to say about this game? Ah, uh, not really. I think that about sums it up. That I, I think 
I'm starting to more and more think we really do know who this Oregon team is. And by all means, we're certainly going to keep covering them, of course, and we're going to keep wishing them well and hoping that they pull out some victories. But uh, let's say as far as postseason play goes, I'm, I'm not expecting them to be taking attention away from the men's side. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine. Uh, And like, uh, I don't know, like they, they don't, like it doesn't get better from here, you know. Um, you know they 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 haven't played Stanford yet. They haven't played Utah yet. They haven't played Wazoo yet. Like they're all, Oregon's on the bottom of the conference. Like everybody that they play is better than them. Like you know what's <laughs> yeah. We, we talked about how on the men's side the Pac-12 may not be the strongest conference this year. Well, th- this is still the Pac-12 that has some very strong teams on the way. Yeah. And I mean, like, I I think, you know, you you could make a pretty good argument that like last year was a down year for the PAC 12 and and it was sort of ripe for the taking. And that, you know, it was an indictment of Oregon that they didn't take it. And and that like that you could, I mean, this is one of the things I was talking about with Badwater when he was doing his, his, his previews over the off season was that like teams like Utah and Wazoo that are clear, like high floor, low ceiling teams in terms of their recruiting and their athleticism, like those sort of steady Eddie teams, like are winning the conference and putting up a bunch of wins indic is your best possible indicator that it's a down year for the conference because like steady Eddie teams win in down years because like, yeah, they're taking advantage of the teams that are, that should be at the top with, with the, you know, the do recruit better and should have better athletes, you know, stumbling. Uh, well, this doesn't look like one of those years you know like stanford looks like you know back to form you know like arizona looks like back to form ucla and usc look like back to form you know like uh, yeah so all right let's take a break when we come back we'll uh talk about football so uh tristan uh, you have been doing you. So I've been sort of jokingly calling you the intern uh, on some podcasts. Well, of course, you, you are paid, although none of us are really paid that well. Um, the uh, I can uh, confirm you, both parts of that. <laughs> uh, you did I, just because. Um, Number one, you were on the game threads uh, for the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty, um, or at least one of them. You eventually woke up and, and posted the post game thread. Yeah, eventually, um, that was part of that cold that I totally got from Hugh Jackman, not from anyone uh-huh. else. Uh, 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 <laughs> and also, um, you had uh, helped out with the film study um, for uh, for Liberty. Um, uh, I figured we'd take a little minute because, you know, football's finally over. Uh, the national championship uh, has been played. Um, I wanted to know, you know, did you have some thoughts about uh, the the game against Liberty um, uh, and, and sort of Oregon's overall performance this year? I think the the thing that struck me when when I was watching the Fiesta Bowl, I'll I'll be honest, I think like a lot of longtime Oregon fans, that first drive 
and even the first quarter had me pretty nervous. When you look at the game flow overall, it probably wasn't anything to panic about. But in the moment, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, no, you gave them an explosive play and you gave them a personal foul. You let them score a touchdown. And now there are low throws and you're dropping passes. No, no, no. It's it's the uh, it's the Alamo Bowl all over again. Mm. The sky is falling. I can't believe it's happening. This is why we do film study, of course. So after the fact, you can sort of take a deep breath and actually actually watch the film. But basically what uh, what your analysis, which I helped with some of the initial data gathering and film review, it, it bore out very well. And that is that this is a Liberty team that is built around a highly effective creative offense and was able to go undefeated because it had a talent and scheme advantage on offense over the schedule it played which was frankly not that great. It, mm. you know, I think in the rankings, it was one of the weakest schedules. And outside of that one big play that they got to the perimeter during the first drive, uh, I think I only remember one other explosive run that Liberty got the entire game, and that was when the game had already entered garbage time. Yeah. And other than that, uh, Oregon had that pretty well bottled up. You, you pointed out in the in the article you you wrote uh, reviewing the game itself, there was some weird uh, inability to get correctly lined up defending quick slant passes, which was a little frustrating. But other than that, I think this uh, basically I'm and even then, by the, the nature of those slant passes, they're only ever going to get you know like six yards so exactly like, so it's, it's good just for that third they're frustrating short, that their yeah. efficiency passes and the whole point of a mint defensive structure is to stop efficiency passes but yeah yeah so essentially everything went pretty nominally and we saw that i mean after you know bonix got into a rhythm and wasn't throwing low quite as often and the receivers got over maybe they were jitters i don't know there were a couple of drops early on y yeah. you saw the superior athleticism as i sometimes like to say this is a game where nature just took its course there was one yeah. team that obviously had you know bigger stronger faster players and it definitely showed so that was really satisfying to see. Uh, it was great to see that despite the disappointment that I have no doubt this team was feeling, uh, there weren't that many opt-outs. It was fantastic to see uh, Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and uh, among others, uh, and, and especially some guys on the on the defensive end, uh, side as well. Brandon Dorless uh, played in this game as well, which he didn't necessarily have to. So great to see him there. Great to see them go out. Uh, you know, with a really emphatic win. And I'll admit, I was kind of entertained by the pretty obvious stat padding they were doing with some of those push passes to try and break Mac Jones's record. I, I mean, I, I, I'm i not a... I, I mean, I, sure. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of playing with your food. Yeah. Like, I, I, I find... Like, whatever one thinks about Liberty, the university, which, like... I understand why a lot of Oregon fans were sort of upset with, uh, with, with, with that selection, you know, and, and with the, um, well, I mean, frankly, with, with the politics and, and mm -hmm. with the, the, you know, a number of the, the, 
the personal and, and stances and 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 political stances that that university has has taken and and represents and frankly i share them you know on a on a personal level uh but like the the players for that football team like those are those are kids you know those are kids trying to win a game like hmm. i i you know i don't really see those guys like you know to, uh, hoisting that particular flag and i don't really think you know they, they you know they don't, they don't really deserve i mean even dan lanning you know was like the sort of the you know the the in my opinion the quote of the game was like it's not liberty's fault that they had to play us <laughs> which i was like the most like badass thing that you can <laughs> say like oh my god this dude knows he's about to whoop some ass yes. like, yeah, um, that, that about summed it up. And I will say, I, I tried to steer clear of a lot of what you just mentioned, since this is a podcast about about the sports itself. I share a lot of the same opinions, and I'll admit that on a personal level, I didn't mind seeing a a team representing that particular university lose by a large margin. I did feel a bad for the individual players who made up that team because, again, they accomplished a lot this season, and I'm sure it was disappointing to come out in a big bowl game and not be in a situation where they were able to be competitive. Well, and I, you know, well, like one of the things, for example, that I'm sure you noticed when you were watching film was that like they, you know, Liberty was getting a lot of, you know, let's just call spade a spade they were getting a lot of lucky bounces mm-hmm. you know you know they, they they got a ton of interceptions you don't get 21 interceptions and in lead fbs without a lot of luck um you know they they deserved a lot of them too there was a good ball hawking you know you watched a bunch of those interceptions it's sort of the, it was the nature of the type of film that you were watching um where i mean you saw it you, you it was it was a combination of like hey those are you know, that that was a good athletic play, you know, like you really had a beat on that ball and you were hustling over to it, but it was also like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? You know, th- these quarterbacks like that, they're fa- like, what a, what a lunkhead, you know, that they're, that they're fake or like, uh, like what a, you know, lucky tipped pass, you know, that sort of fell into this guy's lap, you know, um, or, uh, or like some of the officiating stuff, you know, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of officiating going their way. And like in this game, actually tell you the truth, like, y- y- you know, I know there was, you know, a lot of Liberty fans online who were just like, oh, my God, you know, look at all these calls that are going Oregon's way. And I mean, it's it's true. Uh, like every or almost every one of the they could have gone uh you know, like, I don't know, controversial, whatever, like, whatever you want to call it, like, like, you know, plays that weren't just sort of like automatic, the way that like a false start is sort of like, yep, that guy clear, like no arguing that, like, so setting those aside and just talking about there's a judgment call involved here, like, Oregon got every one. And like, I wasn't used to seeing that you know i'm used to seeing pac-12 refs like just have a a massive um you know uh, uh, inspiration for 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 throwing flags against oregon or not throwing the flag when the opponent has clearly deserved it against Oregon. and so for now every one of them i think you know was was officiated correct i think the closest one to being officiated incorrectly was the interception by steve stevens where he picks it up off the deck i think 
I think that which they let stand. I, I think if they, I think they were just going to let that stand either way. Like if they had called that one an incomplete pass, they would have let that stand as an incomplete pass. Uh, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I would agree with that. I, that was the one that uh, stuck out to me too, of all of them. That was the biggest one where it's, this could easily go either way. And like, less influential calls it went Oregon's way and I'm not again I mean we want to steer away from this you know sort of tinfoil hat thing that fans do with officials a lot of the time I have no reason to believe that an SEC officiating crew had any sort of bias conscious or unconscious toward Oregon but they got the benefit of the calls and that's one of the reasons why the score was as lopsided as it was. Yeah. But I mean, like, look, like I found a Liberty fan who just listed all of them, all the ones that he objected with. And I went, I looked at every single one of those plays and I was like, and I put a couple of them on Twitter where I was just like, no, look, that's absolutely correct. I put one of them in my article, you know, where it was like, there should have been a DPI in this flag against, you know, Nico Reed. No, there shouldn't. There's no restriction. Like, you know, or like, hey, this kick catch interference flag shouldn't have been called. Like, yes, they should. Look, here's the text of the rule. Like, mm-hmm. this guy's within a yard of him, like, b- between his shoulders. It's absolutely should have been a flag. Like, oh, this, the, there should have been a DPI, you know, against, he's clearly holding his arm. Like, you know, additionally, that was like first and goal from the four. So all that did was move it from first and goal from the four to first and goal from the two. Like, you really think that affected anything? Like, uh, you know, and like I, I, w- I went down the entire list. Every one of them was officiated correctly, you know, and had like, I was just like, no, this was, you know, clearly right. It's just that like, which look, man there's a reason for that which is that like officiating officiating is enforcing you know the rules that if you're playing within the rules like the oh boy i i i don't know why i can never articulate this when i when i go to say it like if you're the better team you're supposed to get the the flags are supposed to go your way because rules enforcement isn't like arbitrary like dead ball fouls it is right like anybody good team bad team can commit like stupid personal fouls like throwing a punch you know or a late hit or whatever like i'm not talking about that what i'm talking about is stuff like holds and uh you know pass interference and you know whether something was a catch or a non-catch like all that stuff where the officials are like weighing in on did you play football good or not like of course, the better team gets the balance of those the calls about whether you played football good or not. They were the good team, like that's a tautology. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the good team is gooder at the sport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Like, um, but but like, what is sort of remarkable is that like i just finished watching 13 games that were like officiated by you know pac-12 refs and almost all of them because like against uh like i think all three of the the out of conference games were also officiated by pac-12 refs um the 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 texas tech game the hawaii game and the 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 portland state game i believe all three of those were pac-12 refs um um like in which it was like 
oh, an opportunity to screw the ducks. Oh, you bet. <laughs> like, yeah. yeehaw. Like, uh, oh, a, a, a holding flag, uh, you know, that ought to be thrown against, you know, uh, the, the opposing offensive line and an opportunity to keep that in my pocket. Oh, it's it's warm and safe and dry in my pocket. It's going to stay right there. Like, uh, like, I, I mean, I am simply not accustomed to seeing like eight you know could go either you know judgment call flags in which or or not or decisions in which like they just all go for oregon you know correctly like what <laughs> like that's how like beaten down like you know that, that we are you know we're just used to getting screwed by the official that bad that that's the end like and to get this back to, to sort of liberty and what you observed about them doing film study with me is that like i'm sure you know it, it, it's like you know what what what's the old line if if you're accustomed to privilege like you know justice feels like oppression yeah. you know like if you're used to getting you know all those all that stuff go your way then like the the, the officiating going correctly feels like what's it this is this is intolerable <laughs> it's a conspiracy <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah. So anyway, that's been a long digression to talk about officiating and gaming, which I thought it was officiated correctly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it was sort of, you know, as as you said, like you know, Liberty, you know, had a had a great run, uh, you know, against inferior competition, and sort of this is what happens when you play superior competition. I did appreciate that, like. I tried to warn anybody who would listen that Liberty's offense is a, like a no joke, scary offense. Oh yeah. Like the fact that Oregon like basically shut it down. Like uh, that wasn't, I don't think that was inevitable. Like, um, like they, like Liberty, the Liberty could have made this a shootout. If Oregon continued to screw up the way that they did on that big run. Um, mm -hmm and uh and and because their quarterback can hit passes once he crosses the 50 that was the other thing that like <laughs> like nobody noticed this including john manson the, the the guy who does the sea of red podcast like when we talked to him he was like unaware of the stat it was crazy but the statistical regression pulled it out um where like they can't complete deep passes until they cross the 50 like it's they they still yeah. attempt them, but they can't complete them. But then it's like a magic curtain when they cross the fifty, suddenly they can complete them, and like their yards per pass attempt goes up a more than a full yard when they cross the. It's like it's like in, insane. So anyway, that was Oregon's big defensive coup was that other than that first drive, they never let them cross the fifty, and so therefore their passing game never activated. <laughs> um. Uh, but of course, on the first drive, you know, because they allowed that big run and then Casey Rogers committed that stupid foul, uh, they they did. And so guess what? They they had a deep pass or a longish pass anyway into the end zone. And so I kind of like this is going to sound a little nuts to say, but like I kind of appreciated the first drive because it made me seem like not a Cassandra, you know, mm -hmm. right? I could be like, see, everybody, I'm not nuts. Like, this is a scary offense that if you screw up, you know, they, they can hurt you. 
But then Oregon did that once and only once. They allowed one big run and one big pass across the 50, and then they never allowed it again. So I didn't seem like a Cassandra, but then I also didn't have to, you know, jump off a pier because Oregon didn't lose to Liberty. So I was like, this was optimal. <laughs> like, this couldn't have been better for me. <laughs> Just enough evidence to show that we've been paying attention and we actually know what we're talking about, but it was it was still the right outcome. No, I yeah, agree. Right. And I think that's, uh, that's another thing that I've appreciated that we've seen uh, since Lanning and the new staff got here is that prior staffs, particularly the one, much of which is now in Miami, uh, there was the idea that, you know, this isn't, that was not a staff that was really necessarily good at making, making adjustments or tightening down a game plan mm. after kickoff. And with a couple of exceptions for certain games, some of which are more explicable than others, but I've been generally very impressed with this staff's ability to either make an adjustment to a game plan after kickoff or simply get the team to uh, focus more and yeah. execute the game plan uh, at a higher level after play begins. Yeah. And I would imagine there were a lot of conversations after that first drive of, look, this is what we've been practicing for. Now you're seeing it at game speed. Be ready because they're going to try it again. And yeah, the definitely. players were dialed in. Yeah, this uh, like adjustments, probably not the exactly the right word here, because adjustment sort of implies switching from one valid strategic choice to a different but equally valid strategic choice. And this is more Fair. like correct. Correction is probably mm -hmm. the, 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 the better term, because like they, as you say, there's a correct way to defend the veer and they just screwed up on that play. And, but like, I, I agree with you, this staff is good at like implementing their corrections adjustments too. It's just, I just don't think adjustment is the right way to describe what happened here. Correction is probably better, but like, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, that's definitely there's, I mean, ju just to sort of talk about it. And, and again, I'm, I, it was something that you definitely noticed, you know, uh, that I got from your notes from the film that you watched, you know, is that like, look, this is how you're supposed to defend the veer. You're supposed to induce the inside handoff because, you know, th just the, the structure of their triple option is like all their damage happens if they're allowed to get outside you know mm -hmm. like the the outside is you know that was from my preview article you know it's like they're they they would average like eight yards a carry on, on the two different opt parts of the option where they go outside they would only average like 4.2 yards a carry if they would go inside so it's like and that was against cusa defenses right yeah. Um, so it was like the least effective part of their offense was the first part of the option, which was, you know, the, the inside dive. And so it's like, look, you just need to, there's a correct strategic, uh, response to this, which is you sacrifice a defender to camp out outside, to take away that, you know, to induce the inside dive. And then with a lighter box, cause you've sacrificed a defender, uh, you know, to, to, to just stop the, you know, the inside dive. Well, Oregon d a correctly adopted that strategy outside of that one, you know, screw up play. Uh, and then B was even better go figure than CUSA defenses at, you know, shutting down the inside dive 
you know, because Oregon wasn't allowing 4.2 yards a carry. It was more like 1.2 yards mm-hmm. per carry on the inside dive. Because guess what? They aren't stick figures. They're, you know, big stout dudes who, again, as you say, you know, got a bunch of their guys to, you know, to commit to opt into this game. And so they, you know, they were in- including guys like it was nice to see Jordan Birch, who was like, mm-hmm. you know, clearly on a pitch count, you know, and yeah. he had like a big brace on his leg. And I think he only played like 10 snaps. But it was still it was nice to see, you know. Um, and other guys, you know, they, they had both, you know, Taki Tamani and Popa Amavai, you know, they had all their linebackers, you know, yeah, it was, it was very nice. And they were stopping the inside dive, which, which meant, you know, that the second part of it is, you know, and, and again, you and I both observed it in film study, you know, was that like, so then you get them, you know, you stop the run, you stop the run. So now they're in third and medium, third and long, you know, they've got a pass. So it's, you know, it's going to be this little short efficiency pass because they don't start throwing or throwing effectively deep until they cross the 50. Uh, you know, so the mint defensive structure is set up to do that with the exception of those three slant passes that, you know, simply because I had to write something, you know, negative to, to work on. Like I put all three of the slant passes, but that was it. It was literally yeah. the only effective passes that they they had like every other time you know, they shut down, they shut them down on third downs, um, including stopping their super scrambly quarterback, which like I was going, that's the thing that was really, I thought was the, the, to me, I thought the, the big God, we didn't talk for a while about this, but, and I finally gotten to like the big takeaway to me. I thought the big takeaway was, I thought that Salter was this like a really elite scrambler did. And the fact that Oregon didn't give up a bunch of third down you know oh gosh we had him right where we want him but then he scrambled and converted it the fact that that didn't happen uh, that i think was the like uh, that's what had me jumping for joy do you know what i'm talking about tristan i i know exactly i mean i think every football fan has had the uh has had the experience of where uh, a mobile quarterback becomes the kryptonite of your team's defense at some point or another. But uh, Oregon, but you seen... saw on film what Salter can oh, do. Oh, absolutely. Terms of a I mean, it, it, like, as do a you scram... agree with me that that guy, from what you saw, is like an elite, super fast? Like that guy's legs are incredible. He is an SEC caliber athlete, just in terms of how he can move. I mean, his he was body a four star who went to field. Tennessee. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not talking like a diamond in the rough. Like, oh, he was one of these like G five guys who snuck to a little school, like, and and then turned out to be better than his. Re- no, he was a four star who went to Tennessee, got in trouble, and landed it at at Liberty. Like, mm. he's elite athleticism. Like. Yeah, that is elite athleticism, and Oregon did a combination of displaying impressive athleticism by their own defenders to keep runs to a reasonable reasonable length, but they also, again, you know, the staff making corrections to the game aim plan, although they didn't really need to correct this. Everyone had been well-trained and said, don't give him a, a real open lane. If you're not going to be the guy who makes the tackle, make sure you're the guy who redirects him so that someone else can come make the tackle. And they made the tackles. Yeah. No, it was, you know, I, I put, you know, one of those clips in my article where, uh, you know, th- that was just like so awesome because it was a double screen, you know, so like they've got a, 
they they've got to shut down one screen pass. So they've got to, you know, have a third of the defense running all the way to one side of the field. Then they've got to shut down another screen pass to the other side of the field. So they've got to have another third of the defense running to the other side of the field. Well, now the middle of the field, you know, should be open. I'm like, Oh, here comes the scramble. Oh no. Well, then they all collapse on the dude and prevent him from, from picking up the first down. And I mean, arguably, even though that play was like pretty early the game, I think it was like 10 to six at that point. Um, the fact that Liberty blinked and punted at that point, like, I think you could make an argument that that was the point when Liberty lost the game. Um, the, you know, the, the fact that they blinked and didn't go, didn't, didn't, they chose not to go for it on that fourth. I was shocked. They did not go for it on that fourth and two. When you're in the situation they're in where you come out and you're competitive early against a team with an athletic advantage and you're near midfield and you have a chance to try to go get two yards. That struck me. I'm just not really sure. First, I don't agree with the decision, and I'm not really sure what the thought process was. Yeah, and it didn't. It didn't on Oregon's their, offense. It <laughs> didn't. It didn't match up with their tendencies, you know, for the rest of the season either. Like I really think they blinked, you know, mm-hmm. with that. Uh, well, you know, hmm. um, I don't know. It was anyway. So it was the capstone of a, uh, you know, what by any measure is a successful season. You know, they lost two games to Washington by a combined six points. You know, Washington, you know, we're recording this the day after they, they lost the national championship game in what, you know, I was in a manner that I was sort of like, this is how Washington should be losing games because it's an incomplete team. And when they play a complete team, they ought to get smashed, you know, for exactly this reason, you know, like they've only got one tool, you know, if you can just blunt that tool, you know, that they, they can't do anything else. They can't play defense. You just need to smash them up the middle with your defensive line. Like, I don't know. It was frustrating because I was sitting there watching Michigan. I'm just sort of like, or this ought to be Oregon. Like, you know, like, like there, obviously the Oregon fan in me was, was happy to see Washington lose because, because obviously it was, (laughs) you know, I, 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 did you feel the same way? I felt absolutely the same way. I also happen to have a couple of very good friends, one of whom is a Michigan alumnus. So they were actually in Ann Arbor watching the game live in a, in a historic 2000 seat theater they had. So a, I wanted Washington to lose B I wanted Michigan to win for those two. It was funny. I was talking last night. uh, I, a friend of mine um, did their, uh, their, their undergraduate work, they're they're under uh, Washington played Texas and then played Michigan. My friend did their undergraduate work at one of those schools and their graduate work at the other of those schools. So just by pure coincidence sort of became a Washington hater over the last <laughs> month um, uh, where they weren't before and was like, you know, talking to me about it. It was just like, wow, I, 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 I finally understand where you're coming from. I, I hate these guys now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> they're real easy to hate, aren't they? <laughs> so anyway, you know, my friend was like, did they always complete these like magic passes like out of nowhere? And I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Um, but like, yeah. yeah, this is how you're supposed to shut them down is you just get pressure up the middle rushing four, and, uh, you know, and it's like, it's an incomplete team. And, and like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about Washington too much. It's sort of, 
you know, but the, I'm I'm happy that they lost. I'm happy specifically that they lost in the way that they that like I had been saying they were due for a lot. I mean, like the sort of buck metrics and a bunch of other advanced stats like have been publishing that like the the season long luck statistics, which are basically like if you take the win expectancy charts. And then you take the compare the actual wins versus the win expectancy, like who had, you know, and like by like every advanced statistical system says Washington was the luckiest or second luckiest team in the country. You know, it's just like yeah. their, their luck was just bonkers this year. And it sort of finally ran out, um, which is like, you know, that's what happens. Like this team was just like Washington was just I mean, they were and I like I in the article that I wrote in the off season previewing them, I was just like this team is built to win, you know, double digit games, but then not you know finish because they're an incomplete team you need to be built like a complete team in order to finish and to to get this back to Oregon which is where and so to get this back to Oregon number one Oregon was built much more like a complete team and so Oregon should have done that to them and so like the first observation is that like it's frustrating I feel like Oregon kind of screwed up and you know, because they they had all the tools that they needed to to do that to Washington. And then sort of through a combination of bad luck and screw ups, you know, which Oregon fans need to confront the fact that, like, yes, Washington had a lot of good luck, but they also need to confront the fact that, like, or Oregon screwed up, you know, like, you know, Oregon has some it's a young coaching staff. Mm hmm. You know, like like Will Stein is in, I think this is like his second or third year as an offensive coordinator. This is Dan Lanning's second year ever as a head coach. Like there's like most of this staff has not been coaching for very long. Like, you know, whereas Kalen DeBoer has won like 30 national championships. At the yeah, I was going to say, Kalen like, DeBoer is a national championship head coach. And yeah. I don't poo-poo that because it was at, NA, at an NAIA school. You still have to make uh, in-game decisions right. in a ver- at a very high level in order it's, to win It's a the 10,000 hours thing. You yeah. know, it's sort of like, they're, they're sort of, I, I guess, I, I would put it this way. I do think that Kalen DeBoer has outcoached Dan Lanning. Now there's two, there's two categories of out coaching. There's like all all, like category a is, is the, the winning coach does something extraordinary. Uh, So like an example of that, that Oregon fans may be familiar with would be like last year's UCLA game where like the onside kick, right. You know, in order to win the middle eight, you know, and, and keep UCLA's offense off the field like that, you know, uh, you, you know, that, that would be an example of that. Uh, the other type of getting out coached is, you know, type B is the winning coach just doesn't really make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lean into their strengths. They minimize their weaknesses. They don't do dumb stuff. And the losing coach, you know, selects the wrong game plan and does dumb stuff. and. So in that sense, like this is I'm not trying to take anything away from Kalen DeBoer, but like I don't think that Kalen DeBoer in the DeBoer versus Lanning games like I don't think that was those were like type A, you know, like there was nothing extraordinary that DeBoer did 
at least in in-game coaching performances, I do think his offensive system that he designed is a really cool one. So, you know, in that sense, he should be getting full credit, you know, for that. But I, I mean, like in an in-game, you know, game management sort of way like i don't think he did a type a you know extraordinary measures sort of thing i think he just he did the type b thing which is like he did what his team is good at he didn't make mistakes whereas i think oregon made game planning mistakes um you know to, to a lesser extent in the october game where i think there was just some bad luck and but to a much greater extent in the commerce championship game like i, I think they made mistakes mistakes that cost them the game and and a shot at the playoffs and, and in a year in which i think the teams that made the playoffs were eminently beatable mm-hmm. like i mean that's the thing that's really i'm not going to say it out loud because it's much too painful but like watching all of those playoff games you know you can't help but wonder i'm afraid you're right i mean Dan Lanning's tenure at Oregon has been immensely successful in its first few years by any measure. But uh, in the first year, okay, yeah, your first game as a head coach, you go down to Atlanta and Georgia blows your doors off. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that was going to happen. That was probably going to happen at some level, no matter what Dan Lanning did in the off season. But then the big disappointment is you had two losses and they were to the two teams. Oregon doesn't like losing to the most. It was to Washington and Oregon State. We got the Oregon State thing fixed. Well, Dan, your your mission for year three is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. You got to beat Washington. Oh, and by the way, you also have to play that other team, the team that actually won the national championship game. And you got to go to their place. Yeah. And so that that's going to be a challenge. Oh, and you also are, have to play a little team called Ohio State. Yeah, you know, they are uh they got overshadowed because, you know, Michigan has taken over that rivalry so far, but they're still extraordinarily uh capable of having a great season. And these are going to be very different teams that we're going to see next year. Oregon's not going to see anything like these two national championship teams. Obviously, yeah. Penix is gone after this. We'll see if any of the, his receivers stick around. They've got another veteran quarterback coming in who is also good at releasing the ball quickly coming from an air raid system. So I'll be curious mm-hmm. to see how Although that works out. Like th- That's a much more short passing system. than mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually very interested to see how well he fits with DeBoer's because it's, it's a very different offense. Like just because they're both offenses that throw the ball a lot doesn't mean they're the same offense. Doesn't mean that the quarterback is asked to do the same thing. Like passing a lot does not. Yeah. Just just like not all, you know, offenses that run the ball a lot or the triple option. Hell, you know, watching Liberty should have taught people there's more than one type of triple option. You, mm-hmm. know? <laughs> you know, we had Flexbone, we have the Veer, you know. Yeah. And uh, Michigan, I mean, that's going to be a completely different team next year. I think there, yeah. there are some estimates like 15 players to the NFL. Yeah, they're going to they're going to possibly a record number of teams to the NFL and maybe their coach. We still don't know about yeah. that. Uh, hopefully to the Chargers to to help Justin Herbert out. Uh, hey, if if, uh, you know, again, my family's from Northern California. I grew up a 49ers fan. Uh, Harbaugh uh. did a fine job with San Francisco until uh I still don't know exactly what happened there, but I could think of much worse scenarios for Justin Herbert than having Jim Harbaugh as a head coach. I wanted to say a couple more things and then we'll wrap it up about the the football team. The, the, the other observation, you know, like I've been saying, 
and sort of like why Washington's loss was inevitable and why it was painful that Oregon couldn't get the job done is that like complete programs beat incomplete programs mm-hmm. when the chips are down. Um, you know, that as you have been saying, like, yeah, Washington's losing everything, you know, all their contributors. And like, it was never really a complete. Pro- they were built for this year. They're not, they're not built to be a year in year out, you know, complete team every year. They weren't even built to win this year. And or- Oregon is, you know, Oregon is building towards that anyway. You know, they're, they're laying the foundations, they're building up pipelines to be an, a factory the way that Georgia and Alabama and, you know, these other, you know, Oregon's like making itself into a blue blood. Um, you know, at least, you know, look, I, I study these rosters and these managements, you know, and the rosters over time, like I use the same tools and like there's, you know, I, I studied the way that Georgia built up its roster and the way that Ohio State built up its roster and the way that Oklahoma built up its roster. And then I compared that to the way the Pac-12 teams and all these other loser teams, you know, built up their rosters. And I also studied, you know, Oregon. So like I run the gamut and like. Oregon doesn't resemble any team so much as it resembles Georgia and Ohio state, you know, the factories. Um, and so like, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that that's what Oregon's making itself into and complete teams beat incomplete teams, you know, they just sort of have to get over maybe outsmarting themselves a little bit. Um, and then the, the last thing that I wanted to say um, before we wrap it up is, uh, um, sort of upcoming projects. I am going to be, I'll talk about this on the next podcast, but I'll, I'll be writing up uh, statistical reviews. We, this has sort of been loosey goosey. I, I will actually release the numbers in my next article that'll be coming out on Friday. Um, you're going to be doing the garbage time review of all this tape to talk about, um, sort of, sort of like the second line players, you know, the, the, the developmental players that Oregon had, that's the the other thing about um, that one of the many great things that you see from great teams is that they recruit high level players. They blow te- like this is part of the pipeline or part of the conveyor belt is that they recruit a ton of great players. They blow teams out and then they have extensive garbage time in which to get their developmental players, you know, uh, lots of minutes against the opponent's ones. And so Oregon's got that film and Hey, guess what? In turn, like guess what your, <laughs> your project is, is to look at that. Now, a lot of those dudes wound up transferring out, mm. but a lot of them didn't, you know? Um, and, and so your, your project is going to be, Hey, that's, that's the other part of the factory. You know, that's part of the, that's the skunk works, you know, part of the factory. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, now that's going to take you a little while because there's you know quite a bit of film to review, but, and, but I wanted to let people know, Hey, Tristan's on the job. Um, it's, it's going to be a few weeks, you know, before we see that, you know, cause it takes a while to get through that stuff. Um, but like, that's another part of the program uh is having that much garbage time film for your developmental players who are not you know these aren't jc's these aren't diamonds in the rough it's like your four-star true freshmen who are getting in on 
you know, developmental play, like that's, you know, that that's going to be some, that's going to be some good. There, there's a lot of meat on that bone and I'm looking forward to the stew that you cook up with it. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into the kitchen and watching that because uh, while, you know, they say there is really no off season for football anymore. Obviously the games aren't going to be played, but there's still going to be uh, a lot going on in terms of player movement and all that sort of thing. We're, we're all, obviously we're going to cover the spring game and there'll probably be uh, more, more transfers and a little bit more roster settling after that. But I'm looking forward to taking a look at the film and see who is already on the team, who we might be able to see at Michigan or against Ohio state next yeah. year. Well, yeah, that's part of the other thing, too, is it'll help us sort of identify, okay, so this position group, they need to replace a dude who's who's departing. Are they in a position where they can just promote a guy whose whose garbage time film popped or in the alternate? uh Oh, there was nobody whose garbage time film popped at that position. They're they're probably going to be hunting in the portal or we'll use one of these portal guys, or maybe it'll be a true freshman who came in in this class, you know, so we can use that garbage time film to sort of identify where the gaps might be, you know, based on, you know, not just whose film pops, but whose film doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the analytical approach because that's how we do things around here. Uh, we're, we're a serious website. Uh <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us this week. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, Tristan? Well, there was also another championship game that happened recently. So shout out to uh, you talk about complete teams. Uh, shout out to the South Dakota State uh, Jackrabbits for a second consecutive FCS championship. I've got another good friend who is connected to the University of, of uh, Montana, and they just ran into a juggernaut. But Grizz are back at a high level. Uh, well, all Oregon fans are uh, friends of the University of Montana because of their uh, 2021 season opener against the University of Washington. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, the The days are uh, if imperceptibly getting longer, uh, a little less darkness in all of our lives, and it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>